Last week, we talked about how simple prayer can be. Help, thanks, and wow. Expressions putting forth our need, our gratitude, and our wonder. And yet, hope, thanks, and wow tend to be singular events sometimes. And prayer is more than just a singular help, thanks, and wow. Prayer is also a conversation from something deep inside us to something outside of us. And for there to be that conversation, you need to keep listening and responding. Mother Teresa is famously noted when asked what she does when she prays, she says, I mostly listen. And when asked, well, what does God say? And she says, he mostly listens too. And that may seem odd, a conversation where both parties are just listening. But I have enough experience in my own prayer life and enough experience as a spiritual director and retreat director to know that just listening forms a deep conversation. And what may seem like only listening is a two-way communication in ways that go beyond words. And the only way for this conversation to develop over time is to practice it. And what makes something a prayer practice, a spiritual practice, is not what you say or what you do, but how and why you do it. I'm going to expand a bit on Scott Alexander's intentionality, regularity, and depth. I also like to include something that's also a consecrated or dedicated act, and something that's also binding on you. So what is this? Intentionality. To make something a prayer practice, the activity has to be something you do on purpose. It has to be a priority. You do it with forethought and even scheduling and planning. It needs to be a regular activity. What does that mean? Well, there's lots of different intervals that that fit regular activity or regularity. One, which I think is really important, daily. How regular is your practice? Daily practice. And yet, I think it's also important to not only have a daily practice, but practices that are different that happen at longer intervals. A lot of people who work with spirituality will tell you, and I agree, if you can develop a daily practice, great but then shoot for a weekly practice, and then a monthly practice, and then a yearly practice. Because these practices will tend to be different because of the time intervals involved. Depth. A prayer practice, a spiritual practice, is not a shallow thing. It is not something you have surface involvement in. You buy into it. You are all in. And you are prepared to go deep inside yourself. To be vulnerable to yourself. To be vulnerable to your conversation partner, whoever or whatever it is for you. It is soul work. It is at a depth of our being that goes beyond emotion and intellect, and will. 
And I believe that a spiritual practice also needs to be consecrated. It needs to be dedicated to something beyond yourself. Its purpose is bigger than just what you get out of it. It is holy. It is recognized as binding you and connecting you to something beyond yourself. Now that may be for you God, the universe, the spirit of life, the community you belong to, or a cause you work for. But it's got to involve something that takes you just beyond yourself. So it's a deep into you process and a something beyond you process. And then for it to really work as a spiritual practice, I think it needs to be something you are bound to. You allow it to have control over you. You allow the practice to set the rules. The practice is the coach as well as the activity. Some would say, lots of spirituality folks and spiritual directors would say, that you need to even be obedient to the practice. And that's a hard step for a lot of people to follow, especially people who show up in Unitarian Universalist congregations. Give up control and let the practice be in control. In Unitarian Universalism, we have no musts, no rule books you have to follow. Nothing that says if you don't pray, you're going to go to hell. We don't believe that, and frankly, I don't think it's true. So we come without the obedience part built in. And that's both a good thing for our spiritual freedom, but it's also difficult. Because then the only person holding you to obey your practice is you. And if you're anything like me, you shrug you off all the time when you're trying to make demands on you. We have no specific Unitarian Universalist spiritual practices, really. They are imported from our Judeo-Christian tradition and from our other sources of religious wisdom, from Buddhism, from native traditions, from many things. Sometimes spiritual practices are so bound up in the rule book following a religious program or text or law that it seems oppressive. And quite frankly, I think that is, right? So we have to invent our own rule book and then we have to stick to it, to obey the practice. And we spend a lot of time and energy avoiding our own rules. We might not like them. We fear they're too difficult, so we keep shifting them on the fly. We don't have the tools necessary to really follow our own practice. And when we're dealing with spiritual practice, there's certainly no Ikea question mark guy helping you put it together. So it's a little difficult when you have to write your own rule book and follow it. But a spiritual practice will not work, really, unless you are obedient to it. And that takes a lot of discipline. The purpose of finding this practice and discipline is transformation. Transformation means you are going to be transformed. You're going to be changed. 
and you must be open to the possibilities of what that change may be and where it may lead. Developing a a prayer practice or spiritual practice is really buying into the adage that the journey is the destination. If you set too much of a goal of where this journey must take you or have too many expectations or too many limits, you're not going to get as much out of your practice. A lot of Unitarian Universalists want to have it all figured out ahead of time before they start. We are reasonable, logical people. We want to know what we're going to do, and we want to know what the result's going to be when we do it right. That's not how it works. It really is more about committing to the journey and then seeing what happens as you walk each step. And it's hard. You cannot learn to swim unless you're willing to just jump in the water and get wet. That's where it has to start. And we don't know where the journey leads when we're on a transformative journey. We may start the journey thinking we're going somewhere, or thinking the goal is someplace, and then we realize as we're many steps down the journey, down the road, we're ending up somewhere else. That's transformation. I started meditating every day years ago because I was very stressed out. And it was almost impossible for me to sit still, which was a clue to me that I probably needed to learn how to sit still. And I fought my own practice a long time, many months, before I realized one day that, oh, I've been sitting meditating this week and not thinking too much about why or how, I'm just showing up to do it. And that's when it started to be a transformative experience. Over the years, my practice of meditation has helped with many, many things. Helped me deal with many ups and downs in my life, helped me deal with health issues, helped me see things and change my behavior in ways I didn't even notice was happening. But I was definitely different. I became less angry, less reactionary, more thoughtful. It got to the point where if I didn't meditate every day, I felt it physically, like not working out or missing medication. And I don't know what it's going to keep doing for me next, but I just keep showing up to it. And its ability to be transformative for me, like any practice, only gets realized, only happens because it's a long-standing practice. The difference between you and me and any spiritual giant you want to think about is just practice. The obedience and dedication to the practice that makes them the big spiritual guru. Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Pima Chodron, Mother Teresa, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai Lama, Pope Francis, you name whoever you want in there. The difference between them and you and me is the depth, length, and regularity of their practice. A few years ago in a book, Malcolm Gladwell talked about to really master something, you've got to log 10,000 hours, right? He he talked about the Beatles logged way over 10,000 hours in the bars of Germany before anybody ever heard of them back home, right? You know, it's like that. Are you going to show up to your practice long enough that you start to master 
the activity. You start to master the surrender to it. You start to master how you show up to it. You start to master the understanding of what it's doing for you, to you, and with you. And many of us never get to that point with our spiritual practice because we just don't put in the time. And putting in the time can be difficult because our biggest roadblock is always, well, we don't have the time for whatever our spiritual practice is. Well, and there's a long joke in the religious community about that where the rabbi says, I pray for an hour every day except when I don't have any time and then I pray for two. And that's really where it hits the road. That can you carve out the time for your own practice? Now, carving out an hour a day for your spiritual practice is a little much to shoot for at first. Might want to try with like five minutes and then add to it. When people teach meditation, they usually teach people to start with three minutes, then five, then 10, then 15, then 30. And it can take some people a long time to get to that 30. There are many things we can do to practice. We can practice individually or we can practice communally in a group. We are practicing right now. This is a spiritual practice. If we are here with decided intention, regularity, we show up more or less all the time, we come to it with some depth that we are willing to open ourselves up to something here, to the transformative process that is about something beyond just us as individuals or even as a group, that we are part of something larger. And if we're here and we let it bind us, is, is showing up for worship something that we tell ourselves we have to do? Not because you're a bad person if you don't, not because you're going to hell, but because you say this is the important thing, so important that I will make it a binding thing on myself. I will obey the practice of showing up. Spiritual practices can be contemplative and active. As a spiritual director, one of the things I focus on with people is their spiritual practice. And I always recommend to people, if you want to jumpstart your spiritual life, try a practice that runs counter to your personality. My personality, believe it or not, as an introvert, are quiet practices. I like to meditate. I like to be still. So when I was doing spiritual direction training, my spiritual director basically forced me to take up a practice where I moved around and I wasn't still. So I ended up taking up walking. Now, I jog and walk and hike and get exercise, but at least once a week, I walk to walk. I'm moving around, and it's a different experience than it is sitting and meditating. So I recommend that once you've got one practice going, and it's easier to start with one that does fit you, once that's really going, add in something at a different interval that runs counter to what's usually the easiest for you. Things start to really open up. You start to see more and go deeper 
when that kicks in. Practices can start very simply. We talked about help, thanks, wow last week, right? They can start with moments. And you can cultivate the help, thanks, wow moment. Spiritual teacher and life coach Thomas Crum has written a book called Three Deep Breaths. And he basically goes to that breathing as a meditative exercise and says, you don't need to sit for 30 minutes to get a benefit from that. All it takes really is three deep breaths. You may not be a meditator, a person for whom that kind of practice works, but three deep breaths can help everybody, he says. He says, the first breath is to center yourself. You become present to right here, right now. Just stopping and doing that will ground you. Try it. Deep breath one. Here we are. The second breath is full of possibility. You don't have to control what happens, what you're getting out of it. It's an opening breath. You've grounded, now open. And the third breath is discovery. If you can center and open, what can you learn? Where can you go? What do you see? What do you feel? Three deep breaths. Spiritual practices can be very simple. And they can be so many different things. It just depends if you have the intention, regularity, depth, dedication, and you're binding yourself to it. Music in itself is a great spiritual practice for a lot of people. A musician friend of mine from Texas, Shelley Lane, has a lot of merchandise that says, music is the way I pray. And I get that. Do you do the regular practice of listening, playing music? I play guitar and I play daily. But at least once a week, I just play for me. I'll sing and play 30, 60 minutes, and it takes me somewhere else. No one has to like what I sound like. No one has to like my choice of music. No one knows if I'm making mistakes, but I get transported and transformed. You may have noticed that we're using music in the prayer this month as another extra way to pray when we're together. I go on retreat once a year, at least, usually two or three times a year with other clergy as a spiritual practice. And it's part educational, part spiritual, and part social. And it's good for my soul. It helps me do this work. Creativity is a wonderful spiritual practice. Any art, not just music. Do you draw? Do you sculpt? Do you dance? Do you even doodle? In a way that's a practice. There are whole programs of using your art as a spiritual practice. The Artist's Way is a very famous book for artists about how to make their art and their creativity a spiritual practice. One of my favorite writers, Neil Gaiman, says the answer to every life problem is make good art. Depressed, make good art. Bankrupt, make good art. Sad, make good art. Have a birthday to celebrate, make good art. And I think he's really got something there. For people 
for whom creativity is important. It's a great thing to develop as a spiritual practice. Giving is a spiritual practice. Stewardship is a spiritual practice. Giving money and saving money can be very practical things. But they become spiritual practices when they are done with intention. You're going to say you're going to give so much money to the church. Notice how I threw that in there? Because the practice is important to you. It's to put your money where your mouth is or where your other practice is part of it. Is it done with some depth, that giving? Or is it just a requirement that's budgetary for you and the church? Is it for something beyond you? Because, say, supporting something like this church really does, in fact, save lives. You may notice the number of visitors we've had lately is up. And a lot of people who are visiting are citing the fact that we seem to be articulating some spiritual need and some social justice in a time where a lot of people are feeling really scared and anxious about our society. Giving is a spiritual practice when you bind yourself to it. The stewardship committee and the finance committee and the minister can't make you give the church any money. But if you take it up as a spiritual practice, you can hold yourself to it because it's important. Whatever your practice is, it's how and why you do it. Buddhist and meditation teachers will say, that anything can be your meditation. Thich Nhat Hanh has a famous thing where he says, wash the dishes to wash the dishes. Don't wash the dishes as a chore you've got to speed through. Be present to the dishes, clean them, one at a time, move on. One of the examples I always use with people is walking the dog. Walking the dog is a spiritual practice if it's done with the intention, regularity, depth, consecration, and you bind yourself to it. Getting home from work in a rush, throwing something in the oven to bake, grabbing the dog, scooting out for 15 minutes, rushing back to take dinner out of the that's not a spiritual practice. But setting aside that time with the dog to go and just walk the dog and be there with you and the dog in the world, that's a spiritual practice. It's not what you do. It's how and why you do it that makes it the practice. Anything can be your practice. Parenting, activism, writing, art, dance, judo, gardening, storytelling, you name it. If it's done with intention on a regular basis, with depth, it's dedicated to something beyond you, and you bind yourself to it. And spiritual practice is vitally important because once you take it up, it will underlie everything and ground the rest of your life. I'm in a lot of conversations lately with you, some of you, with other clergy, with friends, with people just calling up the church in these times. I'm anxious about the country. I'm scared about 
what's going on. I have a friend at work who doesn't know if they'll be let back in the country if they go home to see their family. And people ask me in all these conversations, how do we get through it? How do I cope? What do I do? I'm not exactly sure. But one thing I do know is that if you ground your life in a spiritual practice, it will always be there to sustain you. It's harder to take up during times of stress than it is when things are going well. But take one up anyway. Because one of the ways I cope is I sit down and be quiet for 30 minutes every single day. And nothing can stop me from doing that. The regularity of your practice, so important. You don't take a day off for vacation or holidays or your birthday. You bind yourself to the discipline of the regularity. And one of the gifts it gives you is when you hit the times where I don't know what to do, you practice. Because in the practice is where you find the inspiration, the hope, and the connection to do it again the next day. And I think for some of us right now, we're in that place. We're taking today, really, one day at a time and going till tomorrow. And that's okay. Prayer helps. If you develop that practice, it will hold you up when you don't know what to do. It's the well of water and the food that sustains us on the journey. Prayer is the commitment to the journey as an end in itself. And it doesn't have to be about talking to deities, but it is a requirement. It can be something as traditionally recognized as yoga or meditation or talking to God. Or it can be something as different and simple as walking the dog.